everyone and welcome. Tonight, two teams of nerds will go clip-clopping across the bridge of nerdy knowledge while I leap out troll-like and ask them such puzzling questions as, who's been sitting in my chair? Because it's ergonomic and I've got it just the way I like it. And now my back hurts. Uh, and who's been eating my porridge? Uh, and also, why do I have porridge? I usually prefer a light breakfast or maybe just a coffee. And uh, who's been sleeping in my bread? <laughs> Up for grabs will be <laughs> Up for grabs will be my firstborn child, or failing that, some points and a sense of smug superiority. Mm-hmm. Uh, the show will continue until you can guess my name. Or actually, I'll just tell you. It's Brendan Bennett, and welcome along to the Nerd Degree. Um, let's meet our teams. Uh, so I'd like you guys to introduce yourselves. And also, tell me, if your life was a fairy tale, what would be the moral of that fairy tale? Hi, my name's Andrew, and my claim to nerdity is that I'm an animator, and I have a really bad sense of direction, so I think my moral of my life would be a trail of breadcrumbs can go a long way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My name's Andrew as well, Um, and uh, I am a uh, writer and a improviser and a filmmaker um, and if my life was a fairy tale I think the moral would be always wash your hands um, I think uh, the the relatively low incidence of me getting sick is probably largely thanks to me washing my hands uh, pretty regularly and I think it's something that uh, if, if, if my experience in public restrooms is anything to go by more people should do Ooh. Okay, Andrew and Andrew, uh, together you are forming a team what team is that? We are Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo Urns. <laughs> Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo Urns! <laughs> and opposing them tonight, we have. Uh, kia ora, my name's Erin. My claim to nerdity, to use uh, Andrew Keppel's phrase, is that I'm a university lecturer and a writer and so on. And the moral of my story, I think, would be always have a cat, don't always have a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I'm Karen Healy. My claim to nerdity is that I am a writer of young adult science fiction and fantasy and the living embodiment of Hermione Granger. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, and the moral of my story would be, no matter what the frog says, don't kiss it. <laughs> um, and together you'll be... Big Bad, bad Virginia, Virginia Woolf. Ladies and gentlemen, Big Bad Virginia Woolf. <laughs> But before we do that, there's one more person that I need to introduce. Uh, you see, you, you can all see her behind the window. I can't. Uh, <laughs> keeping track... <laughs> I mean, I assume she's giving me the finger. <laughs> uh, uh, keeping track of the scores tonight is Moata. How's it going, Moata? Good. I've got a beer. <laughs> oh, Great, so we're going to have some really reliable scorekeeping. I'm on it. I'm like, I've got paper and a pen and a beer. What could go wrong? <laughs> Just keep them in the right order. <laughs> the first round... <laughs> the first round is called... Uh, yeah, actually, I prefer the original. In this, I will be asking the teams questions about uh, original or early versions of classic fairy tales... Uh, so there will be points if you can give me uh, correct or original answers. So here's the first question uh, for either team. Which story originally involved a striptease and an offer of shitting the bed? (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm going to... S- is it... Wait, can Andrew I answer? Todd, yes. <laughs> Do we have to ding in? Like, is that, is that why we have dingers? I mean, you're already talking, but... <laughs> well, like, I can go back and ding if you want me to. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew Todd. Can you repeat the question? (laughs) (laughs) Which story originally, which fairy tale originally involved a striptease and an offer of shitting the bed? bed. Um, This is a famous fairy tale. uh, Yes, Ken. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad that someone has finally digged in. Is that possibly Little Red Riding Hood? That is correct. Yes. Uh, In the original 1697 version, uh, Le Petit Chaperon Rouge, uh, the wolf, who was at this time a werewolf, uh, he gets uh, Red Riding Hood to strip off each article of clothing before inviting her to join him in the bed. Sensing danger, she uh, makes her escape by uh, saying that she needs to take a shit. Um, (laughs) He he says, uh, just do it in the bed. (laughs) So, um, there you go, yes. Knows what he likes. <laughs> he likes what he likes. Um, what story was, a, what fairy tale was originally about an old lady who wouldn't eat the salmon of knowledge? Salmon of knowledge? Yes. It's very Nordic. Was it green eggs and ham? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will not eat the clever fish. I will not eat it in a dish. I will not eat it going. In, uh, with a screw. I will not eat that fish, Andrew. Oh, <laughs> okay, Karen, that's got to be worth some points. <laughs> is, it, is it Hansel and Gretel in that she didn't eat the salmon of knowledge, so she bit the dust of ignorance? Well, the original, uh, the early version of Hansel and Gretel um, the witch, uh, instead of the witch, there was the devil and the devil's wife. Mm-hmm. Oh. And um, the, the devil had a plan where he would um, tie Hansel and Gretel to uh, a sawhorse and then bleed them. <laughs> um, That's way better. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they cleverly pr- pretend not to know how to get onto a sawhorse. <laughs> so the devil, the devil has his wife, who had previously had tried to help the children, demonstrate at which point they slit her throat, steal the devil's money, and run away. They stole his money? So, so what's the house made out of? Is it like made out of a fisherman's basket? <laughs> of like crab sticks and fish nuggets? So, this, uh, so that was a sidetrack. This is not... So the, the old lady who wouldn't eat the salmon of knowledge was actually... The original story was called Scrapefoot, which was the name mm. of this old lady, or sometimes a fox, who was later replaced by Goldilocks. Oh. Um, because... Uh, a uh, little blonde kid is always uh, sells better. <laughs> so, so with the salmon of knowledge, was one like too hot, one too cold, and one in the middle? There so was various got, dishes. So, so, you, so you've got there two chances of levels food of knowledge. poisoning, <laughs> and so, one in the middle that's okay. So you it's know, kosher. like there's the ignorance is bliss, and then there's the uh, knowledge is is bliss. And so then it's like the like, Dunning Kruger. Like <laughs> then, then there's like the middle one, which is like it's like you know you know enough, but not enough that uh, it makes you bummed out all the time. Oh. <laughs> That's deep. The dish of moderate knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Mm. Uh, in another version of Goldilocks, she is thrown out the window by the bears and ends up impaled on the steeple of St. Paul's Cathedral. Well, that's what you get. <laughs> hey, the bears Wait. are living in a pretty good neighbourhood. <laughs> yeah. That's where she ends up. Um, what were the dwarves from Snow White originally called? Andrew Dodd. Um, <laughs> Skanky, yeah. uh, uh, musty, fussy, uh, scraggly, um, uh, chody, <laughs> uh, 
smelly, Beardy. snarly. Blitzen, uh, Donna. Yeah. <laughs> that is, of course, um, a trick Dory, question. Dory, Nori, <laughs> Glowin, <laughs> Gimli. Uh, the dwarves in Snow White uh, didn't have names uh, until uh, Walt Disney uh, added names for his movie. Although he, he had a list of names. Uh, some of the ones he rejected were awful, baldy, dirty, dumpy, shifty, and scruffy. Sounds like people I've been out with. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen Dumpy the Dwarf. <laughs> like, just someone who's just, like, just real dumpy. <laughs> In Snow White, what was the original punishment for Snow White's mother? Oh, was, was she one of the many wicked women and witches who had to dance around in hot shoes, hot and, shoes. and generally suffer for eons upon eons? For Yeah, that's right. Uh, so um, she had to attend Snow White's wedding wearing red-hot iron shoes. See, that's a fashion <laughs> faux pas. <That> is <laughs> you don't wear red to a wedding. Uh, always wear white-hot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't wear white either. I just love the idea that Snow White wants someone slowly dying at her wedding. <laughs> isn't, isn't that a lot of painful weddings, though? Is everyone <laughs> yeah. sitting around slowly dying, waiting for the... Yeah. Well, usually that's the during the best man's speech. <laughs> okay, what about, uh, speaking of uh, cruel and unusual punishment, what happened to Cinderella's stepsisters? Karen. This one I know. Um, birds picked out their eyes. Yes, so winding back a little bit, um, of course, their mother gives them a knife and, and tells them to cut, cut their feet until they, their Heels feet fit in the slippers. And, and they're shown off by the blood dripping from their feet. Yeah, they yeah. almost get away with it, but a pigeon <laughs> sees the blood pouring out of their slippers uh, and then uh, pigeons pick out their eyes. Yes, Andrew? I've seen a film adaptation where that they actually do that. Yes, um, Into the Woods. Not Into the Woods. It's Ooh. a 1974 softcore adaptation. <laughs> a, bunch of, a bunch of Grimm's fairy tales. Uh, and they have, it's, it's got all of the gory bits as well. So the porny bits and the gory It's called bits. The New Adventures of Snow White, and it's not available on home video. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason. Uh, okay. Uh, what, what happened to Rumpelstiltskin? Aaron. Did he... Um, slam himself so far into the ground that he disappeared and popped out the other side. Yeah, that's close. In his rage, he drove his right foot so far into the ground that it sank in up to his waist. Then in a passion, he seized the left foot with both hands and tore himself in two. Whoa! (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they were hardcore. (laughs) Back in the day. Imagine have, like even just having the strength to tear yourself in two, yeah, you let alone been, the wherewithal to do it. <laughs> you must have been totally ripped, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> but also, imagine the angle that you're trying to do it. Yeah. You're not just trying to rip yourself up. It's like groinal. It's groinal tearing. Groinal tearing. Children's story. From zero to groinal tearing. Well, they weren't originally children's stories. Can I tell that story? Yes. Yes. Okay. Once upon a time. Once upon a time, the Grimm brothers, in their efforts to um, encourage German nationalism, went around and collected lots of stories. Um, and they weren't originally doing it for children. But what happened was, parents started reading them to their kids, and then they wrote letters to the to the Grimm brothers saying they're a bit gory. And this so this is inappropriate. Think of the children. I left my child up after nine thirty watching TV, and it wasn't appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but with fairy tales. Um, so they, you know, consequently. Revised and revised and revised, and then we and then everything got Disney fired and even more pablumed. The end. Yes, uh, more complaints <laughs> from old lady Karen later on <laughs> in the show. <laughs> um, okay, in the Frog Prince, 
Famously, uh, a kiss transforms a frog into a prince, but there are several other versions of this story where the transformation is affected in different ways. Uh, does anyone know how? Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a donkey one? <laughs> no, you're thinking of Shrek. You're thinking of donkey skin. Kisses a donkey? <laughs> and, then they, and then they both turn into like a weird mutant like hybrid. <laughs> Um, you get John I, Carpenter's The Frog Prince. Oh, that's the one. <laughs> there are, I mean, there are uh, so, some stories about people with, who turn in and out of donkeys. I'm thinking specifically of The Frog Prince here, though. Um, isn't there one where she goes, you've got to throw me in the... F-, he says, you've got to throw me in the fire. And she doesn't want to, but then she does, and then he turns into a prince. Uh, she slams him against a wall. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, oh. Kind of like in the, at the end of the AHA video for... Um, <laughs> Uh, also, uh, in one, she has to cut his head off. Um, but most typically, uh, she has to go to bed with him. Mm. When he's then, a frog? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Define go to bed. Well, <laughs> well here's a, here's a, a crucial, here's a crucial detail. Um, after, after the transformation, uh, they hasten to celebrate the wedding so that the christening might not follow it too soon. Right. So after uh, the transformation, so slimy, yeah, <laughs> slimy, yeah. yes. Which fairy tale? <laughs> I'm thinking about frog anatomy now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, uh, Brandon. It's, the, it's just not adding up. <laughs> it w- this wasn't in the era softcore uh, fairy tale. <laughs> they skipped right. O- it's softcore. They skipped right over that part. <laughs> okay, thank goodness. Um, which fairy tale is possibly based on a true story? Would Andrew. Jack and the Beanstalk be based on some political situation that just got turned into a fairy tale? Oh, it does About, sound like, like genetic engineering. <laughs> <laughs> GMOs! <laughs> going to this guy who lives up really high and stealing all his stuff and coming back and, you know, stealing. Yeah, that's interesting. Is, is, is Sleeping Beauty just about, like, a real lazy teenager? <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe. Maybe. Uh, Snow White uh, is possibly based on Margaretha von Weldick. Oh. Uh, from 1533. Uh, so her father owned several copper mines. The mo- majority of workers in those mines were children. And uh, when she was about 17, she left home because she and her new stepmother uh, did not get along. She settled in Brussels and soon attracted the attention of the future King Philip uh, II of Spain. Mm. Uh, they intended to marry. However, the union was forbidden by Philip's father and her stepmother, who just hated her. Uh, she died at the age of 21, and um, the fact that her last will and testament, her handwriting is so shaky, uh, suggests that she was poisoned. But, but was it maybe just like heavy metal poisoning from the mine and being around so many minor miners? <laughs> I don't think she was Sorry, required was to work in the copper mine. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, that brings us to the end of, actually, I preferred the original. Uh, Moata, what are the scores? Well, I've nearly run out of beer. <laughs> <laughs> and Bippity Boppity Burns have got five points, but I'm deducting one point what? for Andrew needing the very first question to be repeated. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's incorrect fair. Yep. dinger protocol. Okay. <laughs> uh, Big bad Virginia Woolf uh, have 10 points, but again, I'm deducting one point for the use of the phrase groinal tearing. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's four points 
for Bibby Bonnie Burns and nine points for Big Bad Virginia Woolf. Big Bad Virginia Woolf, everyone. move on to the first part of our homework round. I've assigned each of the panellists a piece of homework. In this case, I asked them to take a classic fairy tale and to reboot it uh, in a new style. Uh, so in this first round, we'll hear from uh, Andrew Todd and Karen. Andrew, uh, what fairy tale are you rebooting for us? Uh, I'm doing a, a reboot of The Emperor's New Clothes. It is a time of conflict. <laughs> The One Earth Empire, embroiled in total war with invaders from the far reaches of space, struggles to maintain control even over its own people. The Emperor of Earth, desperate to assert his dominance, commissions a new suit of armor to be built, armor that will let him conquer the galaxy. (laughs) The Empire's top engineers toil for months, presenting him with a mech suit, not only impervious to lasers and projectile weapons, but that cannot even be seen. With his invisible armor, the Emperor lulls his enemies into a false sense of security and leads a new push to victory, all the while appearing as naked as the gladiators of old. Not even within the Empire is dissent tolerated. Not even the children who point and claim he's simply unclothed who the Emperor vaporizes as a show of force to any others who might rise up against the rightful power of the military. Witness his further adventures in Emperor Chronicles, Advanced Armor Rising Chronicles. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew Todd. Wow. Beautiful. I would watch that. (laughs) I would pirate that. (laughs) I would make that. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, the special effects budget, like, despite being like very sci-fi, it should be quite cheap. <laughs> yeah, and the th- I mean, the thing I really like about it is that it's a fundamental misreading of the story. <laughs> and the themes. Yeah, yeah. Who read that story and was like, "Wow, that suit must be amazing." Yeah. <laughs> Well, it can be anything you, you wish it to be. Yeah. Uh, Karen. All right, so for this trailer, you have to imagine spooky music in the background. Mm. Okay. Are you one of the winter girls? Do men take you to dark places, claiming your heart? Do they love you only when you are silent and still? Do you know that fathers die, mothers lie, and the sweetest apple can be poison? Go find your sister in the woods. Go find the woman with hair as black as raven and skin as white as snow and lips as red as blood. She slept and she woke and she'll wreak your vengeance. Light a candle, look into the mirror and speak the words. Mirror, mirror, shining bright, bring to me my foe this night. He can't run from winter's bite. Meet the teeth of dead Snow White. Oh. <laughs> Karen, did you just read the back off your next young girl? <laughs> <laughs> no, but that would be fun. Um, I should actually say that I owe some of the inflections of this to um, the indexing series by Shauna Maguire, which is awesome, and you should totally read it. It's about fairy tale detective agency. Ooh, okay, okay. Um, all right, I have to assign some points for this. And, <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to give the points to Andrew mm. for this one. Um, 
just because. <laughs> <laughs> Our next round is called Morality Fails. In this, I've found uh, some more obscure fairy tales, fairy tales that I hadn't heard before, um, that, uh, well, some of them are pretty insane. And uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read out a summary of uh, each fairy tale, and then uh, I will give points to anyone who can identify what the moral of the story <laughs> is, because I cannot tell. <laughs> so uh, it takes a little bit of reading, but here's the first one. Uh, this is Hans the Hedgehog. This is a Grimm Brothers tale, and it tells the story of a young man and his wife. Uh, they give birth to a half-hedgehog child that they named Hans. This yeah. the all, all the women in the room go. <laughs> <laughs> Horrified by their child, who is top half-hedgehog, bottom half-human, uh, the parents put it behind the, the stove and leave it there for eight years. <laughs> However, Hans doesn't die. Um, instead, he just uh, rides a rooster off into the woods where he tends sheep and plays the bagpipes. One day, a king gets lost in the woods and asks Hans to show him the way home. Hans agrees, but only if the king promises in writing toward Hans the first thing that greets him when he returns. But the king, who somehow knows that Hans is illiterate, tricks him and actually wrote down an order for his guards to attack Hans. Shortly afterwards, a second king also gets lost in the forest uh, and makes Hans the same promise. Uh, so when Hans goes to that second kingdom, he meets uh, the king's beautiful daughter. Hans then travels back to the first kingdom and impales the deceitful king's daughter on his quills. Afterwards, he returns to the second kingdom and marries the second princess. <laughs> On the wedding night, he tears off his hedgehog skin and orders the guards to burn it on a fire, therefore becoming a real boy. <laughs> so, real skinless boy. <laughs> the tale of Hans the Hedgehog. What is the, uh, what's the moral of this story? <laughs> Don't. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd say it's maybe something along the lines of always take your GPS when you're going to an unfamiliar location. Yeah, especially kings. Yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah. Always clean behind the stove. <laughs> I think gotta go fast. Oh. <laughs> it is. It's the story of Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, employ prenatal testing. <laughs> okay, um, this this one's a really nice one. Uh, it's called. No, no. What's what's the moral? Well, there's no... Well, well, what do you think the moral is, Brendan? I think it's about male entitlement. Sometimes you have to be a bit of a prick. Points to the audience. And it was his first time at the show as well. Like, the fact that the king's daughter gets murdered for Dad being a dick, yeah. Okay, so the girl without hands. Great. Okay. The devil offers a miller all the riches in the world in exchange for whatever was standing behind his mill. <laughs> Thinking that only an apple tree stood behind the mill, uh, the miller agrees. But it turns out his daughter was standing under, tr- <laughs> oh no. under the tree. The theme seems to be that daughters are just always inconveniently like placed for deals like this. Um, <laughs> before the devil can claim the daughter, uh, she washes herself and stands in a chalk circle, thus becoming too pure for the devil to touch. Frustrated, the devil demands her father withhold water from her so that she couldn't wash herself. But the girl's tears washed away the dirt and she remained pure. The devil then ordered the miller to chop his daughter's hands off with an axe. But her tears cleaned her bloody stumps. 
<laughs> so she's still too pure, and the devil gives up. Is, is this Titus Andronicus? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was one of the influences. This is, oh my God, this is that Futurara episode. Where, the, where, 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 what's his oh, name? Yeah, the devil's oh, hands. Yeah, the, 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 the devil's hands. Yeah. A king falls in love with her. <laughs> I, because of her alluring stumps. Uh, <laughs> and marries her. So to get the revenge, the devil forges a letter from the king ordering that the girl is put to death. However, she escapes. And the king pledges to not eat or drink until he has found his lost wife. It takes him seven years. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually he discovers his bride in a small cottage near the castle Although he, he initially doesn't recognise her Since her hands have grown back somehow <laughs> What's the moral of the girl with our hands? Use fast post <laughs> Sometimes it's okay to cry Oh, that's sweet I'm just... The devil seems to have a lot of time just to, like, muck about with this one particular family. Yeah. Oh, he takes it real personal. In the past, biology was real different. Yeah, yeah. They spliced in frog genes. Uh, It's the same moral as my life. Uh, Always wash your hands. (laughs) Just do Um, it. Yeah, I wonder if the, the, the devil was actually trying to replace his previous wife who got killed by Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. Uh, all right, this next one is called The Mouse, the Bird, and the Sausage. <laughs> I love it already. Brought to you by Virgo. <laughs> a mouse, a bird, and a sausage. All... <laughs> are these, all the ca- these are the characters. In the these story. are the characters. Yes! <laughs> Uh, they all live together in a cottage in the woods. Shit, yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah, the, the next animated hit coming summer to this. From Pixar. <laughs> now, each housemate has a specific job. <laughs> <laughs> Would anyone like to tell me what the specific jobs are? To keep the house running. Well, on the, on the chores wheel. <laughs> <laughs> well, the sausage has to unload the dishwasher. <laughs> Not allowed anywhere near the oven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely incorrect. <laughs> the bird flies out of the forest to collect wood, the mouse carries water and lights the fire, and the sausage cooks dinner. Now, the bird, um, is, when he flies out of the, fo- the fo- forest, he gets hassled by the other birds because he's doing. he feels like oh. he's doing all the work. So uh, he complains to the others. And they agree to swap tasks. So the sausage goes into the forest to collect wood. <laughs> However, the sausage doesn't return. Because he's got no hands or legs. He's just rolling. The, the bird had to go out and look for the sausage, right? <laughs> and this is where things get weird. <laughs> uh, the, the bird comes across a dog carrying the sausage in his mouth. Oh, the bird no. begs, the, the begs the dog to get let the sausage go, but the dog refusing, claiming that the sausage has forged papers. <laughs> and kills the sausage instead. <laughs> the bird returns home to find that, while trying to cook dinner, the mouse had jumped into the pot and boiled to death. What? How did the sausage not do that? <laughs> Enraged. The bird threw the wood all around the house, causing the building to catch fire. But that's not how the bird dies. (laughs) Trying to put the blaze out, the bird 
knocks himself down a well where he drowns. (laughs) (laughs) What's the moral? (laughs) Don't complain about your position on the (laughs) chalkboard. Always do background checks on your flatmate. Some kind of like anti-German immigrant. Yeah, this is to be allegory, like, right? This, this sausage doesn't the sausage have its papers. papers. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like we need to take him a to, a, to like, a sanctuary barbecue to look after him. Like, where, where does this originate? Is it from like like France or like? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't have a. It it's from the internet. <laughs> this next one is called the juniper tree, which sounds fine. Is it mm. about Jim? Please let it be about Jim. <laughs> a widower remarries. But the new wife hates the son he had with his first wife and wants their daughter to be the sole heir. One day, she offers the boy an apple from inside a chest. And when he reaches in, she slams the lid shut, chopping off his head. (laughs) Presumably, he just stuck his head into it. It's like bobbing for apples, but in the chest. (laughs) To hide her crime, she reattaches his head and wraps a scarf around it to keep it in place. (laughs) It's very debonair. (laughs) However... The, woman, the woman's daughter then accidentally knocks the boy's head off and believes that she has killed him. So uh, the mother and daughter cut up the boy and put him in a stew, which they then feed to the father. The boy is reincarnated as a bird who drops a giant, drops a giant stone on his stepmother, killing her and turning him back into a boy. Oh, does he not go and flat with the... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he maybe well. This ends up pretty well for him. That's good. Uh, this is part one in his story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what's the uh, what's the moral of this story? Family, eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, use better adhesives than a scarf. <laughs> the title of a story doesn't have to have anything to do with the story. <laughs> good point. Good point. Um, Okay, we've got one more. Blended oh. families are terrible. I think is the, is the moral of all of these. It's don't get married, don't have kids, definitely don't remarry, don't live with people, yeah. don't live alone, don't do anything. Don't be the devil. Yeah. Don't, be no, the no, don't be the devil. Hey kids, the the don't be the devil. <laughs> okay, this final one, I've saved the best to last. This one's called The Straw, The Coal and The Bean. They all live together in a house. <laughs> are they yes. next door to the birdhouse and sausage? A poor old woman is cooking beans for dinner when one bean falls to the ground. A piece of straw is lying on the ground as well, having fallen out of the woman's hand when she used a handful of straw to light her cooking fire. A burning coal leaps down from the fire, and the three decide that they should be companions, since, <laughs> since they've all just escaped certain death. Yeah. <laughs> on their journeys to new and exciting lands, they come across a brook. The straw lays itself across the banks of the brook so the other two can walk across. The burning coal goes first. (laughs) And the straw immediately catches fire. And they both tumble to their deaths. The bean laughs so hard that she splits in half. (laughs) But then a tailor finds the bean and sews her back together. The bean is fine. What's the moral? <laughs> these, these all seem to be about, you need to be very careful about who you choose to stage an uprising with. Yeah. Mm. What, what species things... was the tailor? Was he like a mouse or a sausage or what? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently this was a human ta- tailor who just decided to uh, sew a bean back together. Okay. Oh, there's a little bean that's split open. <laughs> oh. 
I'll use my carefully honed tailoring skills. I think the moral of the story is is that if you go out into the world and just look around you for inspiration when you write, you need to think a little bit harder than I saw three things. <laughs> the, the brother Grim, the brothers Grimm were like. It was deadline, and they needed one more yeah. fairy tale. Uh, a what dagger, f- a glass, and a microphone. Yeah. Go on an it seems to be. It seems to be like a parable about uh, the th- the value of trolling, because like because <laughs> it's got it's got the the bean is just sitting on the shore like. He's watching all this shit go down. Like he knows that this, that this is going to be a real, like, that this is going to end in, in tragedy. Um, and then the bean's just, like, laughing until she splits open. Yeah, yeah. And then, and, and, then and the moral is, right. women then, can be trolls too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, okay, uh, well, that brings us to the end of uh, Morality Fail. Moata, uh, <laughs> yes. uh, what's the update on the scores? Well, I've officially run out of beer. <laughs> And Brendan yes. has five points for reading that bird, mouse, and sausage story without losing his shit. <laughs> <laughs> Big ups to you, bro. Um, Bippity Boppity Burns is lost for seven years looking for their wife who was in a house nearby <laughs> on a mere 13 points. And Big Bad Virginia Woolf were on fire like a half-hedgehog child. (laughs) (laughs) On, let me just do maths quick, 20 points. Give him a round of applause. Okay, let's move on to uh, the second part of our homework round. Mm. So, Erin and Andrew, let's hear from... You guys. Erin, uh, would you like yep. to go first? Um, this is supposed to be read in a Yorkshire accent, which I can't do, so you're just going to have to imagine it. Outside your local welfare office, sitting among torn scraps of Kafkaesque doll application forms and the stubs of food bank coupons, a little girl waits. That little girl is the erroneously named Goldilocks, a girl whose hair would be the colour of burnished gold were it not so filthy, who would have a face of a cherub if it were not for the malnutrition, and who would be running and playing with her friends had they not all broken their legs due to widespread problems with rickets and died of death by a thousand benefit cuts. (laughs) Half mad with hunger and fearing nothing but the blunt might of an uncaring government bureaucracy, Goldie breaks into the house of a family of bourgeois bears who are off enjoying something called leisure time. (laughs) The bear's name-brand food is so abundant it comes in not one but three different temperatures, and the modular furniture from the globalised Scandi Corp caters to any bodily dimension, even that of Goldie. Exhausted by the psychic trauma of all this conspicuous consumption, Goldie finally collapses on one of the beds. As she sleeps the sleep of the indebted and the damned, the bougie bears come home, see a Benny Bludger bedding in their affluent abode and call the cops, a repressive state apparatus that will crush the filthy proletariat one by one. (laughs) When they arrive to take her away, though, she's scarpered, straight out the window to anyone knows where, and the bears go back to bed after a quick delousing, safe in the knowledge that they will never have to think about her again. This is Ken Loach's I, Goldilocks. Who says nerd degree can't do political? <laughs> uh, okay, Andrew Keppel. Right, I've got a, uh, a movie pitch here for Pinocchio okay. as a sci-fi epic. <laughs> because it may be a fairy tale, but it wants to be a sci-fi. It's a story about an artificial being that's brought to life, embarks on a quest to find his humanity. It's sort of partway between Frankenstein and robot sci-fi. So 
here's a premise for how it all starts. This is a reboot. It's not just alluding to Pinocchio mm. in the way that AI does or um, some movies sort of allude to it, but they don't actually reboot it. And what if Pinocchio, the walking, talking, self-aware puppet, was captured and exploited by science for his magic properties? And consider a futuristic scenario where the global energy crisis is solved. There's like Jetson-type cities. It's not exactly overtly dystopian, but there's one big corporation that rules the world and has robots and automation all over the planet. And let's introduce a human, a young boy, we'll call him Jim. He stumbles onto a terrible secret that the limitless, clean, renewable energy on which this highly automated futuristic society relies is the labour of a prisoner. The company that provides this apparently limitless, clean energy has Pinocchio hooked up to a machine that harnesses the energy produced by his nose whenever he tells a lie. (laughs) You see, when he first set out on his journey from Geppetto's house to become a real boy, he didn't make it. He never came back to Geppetto. He was captured by venture capitalists and subjected to various experiments. They discovered that restricting the growth of his nose was apparently impossible, no matter how much resistance, how much load was applied to his nose when he told a lie. His nose would always have to grow. It's a fundamental law. So they increased the load in the form of machines that could make use of this energy using gears, and as their company grew bigger and bigger and had access to more technology, more sophisticated devices that could extract the energy more efficiently, eventually allowing them to take over the world by solving the global energy crisis. (laughs) As long as they kept Pinocchio imprisoned and made him tell regular lies. But having discovered this secret and the prisoner, uh, Jim helps Pinocchio escape and Uh, The pair of them have many adventures running from the authorities in a world that's beginning to panic and decay after losing this one magical energy source that everything's powered by. And on their adventures, Pinocchio learns through Jim uh, many aspects of being a real boy, learning lessons about friendship, coming to terms with uh, the fact that Geppetto has long since passed away. He's he's been under there for like 200 years or something. And they also, the pair of them become good friends and they have to confront the consequences of their escape as they see that the robots are the first to succumb to the energy crisis. And Pinocchio sort of sees in them a reflection of, of himself as that they are artificial beings, and that, but they're not quite real, or so he thinks. And robots heretofore have not been widely considered aware or human in this society, and they haven't really voiced any opinion on the matter, but Pinocchio sees in them that the, the artificial mind, it wants to be a real boy, it wants to be a real human. And at first, he just goes along with this idea that they can be real. But... Andrew, are we, are we getting the whole film? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I'll summarize, sorry, I'll summarise it. I'll... <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole nother page. <laughs> and so, now, oh, wow. Their world is descending into chaos. This crucible is forcing the robots to assert their identity as aware, conscious beings. And the corporation that once owned and powered the robots is trying to suppress them so that they can get back in control of the robots trying to develop more power. So Pinocchio, passing for a robot, does his best to protect Jim, and they join this robot uprising against the corporation. Uh, even though it still rules what's left of the world, and there's this big climax battle scene back in the place where Pinocchio was imprisoned in the whole sort of energy harvesting room. And at this point, uh, Jim is mortally injured, and Pinocchio is brought face-to-face with the man behind the corporation. And it's Geppetto. No, it's the mind of Geppetto that's been uploaded into an artificial brain when his body died. (laughs) Now, Geppetto presents Pinocchio with a bit of a bargain. He says that he can upload Jim's brain and save him, even though his body is dying, as long as Pinocchio goes back into his little slot and goes back to being a battery for the whole world. And Pinocchio agrees. And he sees his friend Jim become a robot, become a not-so-real boy. But by this point, Pinocchio is sort of warming to the idea that maybe this is real. Maybe you don't need a flesh-and-blood body to be a real consciousness, a real person. 
So he goes back into his slot, puts his nose in and everything. <laughs> into his prison. But what Geppetto doesn't know... <laughs> there's a twist. Now the twist! Yeah. Okay. Pinocchio okay. did some meddling with the machine that harvests the, the energy from him. From all those years down there, and since escaping, he'd learned a thing or two about how it works, and nobody noticed that he'd been messing around with the controls and... Ah, let's see where it is. Here he is. Uh, increasing the resistance of what it's harvesting from his nose to astronomical levels, so that when he told his next lie... The machine put too much load on his nose. Its energy extraction field essentially preventing his nose from growing. But he told a lie. The unstoppable force has met an immovable object. Here was Pinocchio telling a lie, his nose unable to grow. And so the very fabric of reality readjusted itself to make Pinocchio's lie become truth. And that lie was that Pinocchio's friend Jim was alive and well. And so it was. He came back with a flesh and blood body. Because Pinocchio said it would happen. So it did happen. And he realised that he had the voice of God. And he could recreate anything he wanted. At this point he understands that he can be so much more than just a real boy. His word is automatically truth. So he continues speaking, reshaping reality to fit his desires, reshaping the entire universe itself. No more energy crisis, no more friends and family being dead, everyone's back to normal, or what he thinks is normal. How many films is this? (laughs) I think we're on to the the third film of the trilogy. HBO series. The end of the movie shows a much older Pinocchio who has transcended conventional reality. And he watches our world with detached interest, abstaining from interfering with the lives of mortals and musing on his conclusions about consciousness. And the fact that while he was a puppet, he thought he wasn't real. But now he is the puppeteer, and the puppet is reality itself. I've never seen a standing ovation in that degree before. <laughs> Andrew, that was incredible, and I'm also furious at you <laughs> by how, uh, for how long that was. Um, but it was amazing. Um, okay. Uh, I guess we've got to give some points out for that. <laughs> I do my homework like a real nerd. <laughs> um, You're the kid that the teacher was like, oh, another report. Thanks, Andrew. You're so enthusiastic. <laughs> okay. No, actually, uh, when I was in high school, I was about 14, we had to write short stories. This is what you wrote? <laughs> no, no, no. It was a science fiction thing, and most people were reading out theirs that were about... 30 seconds long, and I read out this epic that just went on and on. And, <laughs> and it was when I'd started the new school, and it was an interesting first impression. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to give you points for that, Andrew. Um, so, yes, Thanks. you've <laughs> been me into submission. Um, but we need to move right on to the next round, which is now a lightning round. So, uh, <laughs> uh, this next round is called The Princess in the Petri Dish. Uh, in which uh, we will try and apply science to fairy tales. So, first question. How are the three bears involved in the search for alien life? Erin. Uh, looking for the Goldilocks zone in terms of planets that are not too hot, not too cold, but just right. Yeah. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Uh, any other fairy tales that are referenced in scientific terminology? 
the Cinderella zone uh, refers to uh, planets that will fit on your foot. <laughs> refers to spacecraft that uh, are big enough for just big enough for a human to fit snugly inside. <laughs> um, they have to cut off the heel of the astronaut. <laughs> and pigeons well, that, that's the, the, the they build the spacecraft first. And then they go on the search for, <laughs> for the, astronaut, for the uh, astronaut to, to, to pilot. Uh, there's a name for a rare intestinal condition that results from humans ingesting hair. Trichophagia. Oh! Is it Rapunzel it's syndrome? Rapunzel syndrome is correct, yes. I saw... You saw a softball film about this. No, no, no. <laughs> I saw... I saw um, so uh, I, I went to a, 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 a pathology museum in Montreal yeah, last year. And I saw, um, so they had all, all these like weird things that had been cataloged over the years. And one of them was um, uh, this stomach-shaped uh, clump of hair um, that was like, it was incredibly dense, packed hair. And it was like literally the contents of someone's stomach who had died uh, from, from eating so much hair. Well, gross. <laughs> Super gross. There were still bits of food in it. Oh. Is Rapunzel scientifically accurate? Can your hair just keep going forever? Can hair support uh, someone? Sure. Depends how much hair do you have and how's it twisted? Well, why, uh, why would Rapunzel be at a disadvantage compared with, say, Snow White? Because she's a blonde? That's right. Um, so the average strand of hair can support about 100 grams, um, but dark hair is generally thicker and stronger than blonde hair. So the average blonde has 140,000 hairs on their heads, as I think we all know. Um, <laughs> so uh, her hair, uh, Rapunzel's hair, could easily support the weight of s- several princes. Um, except, Especially if they're teeny tiny princes. Except for uh, one thing that um, obviously her scalp would probably rip off. Mm. Um, it sounds like a good Grimm story, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In the original version. Um, so, yeah, she'd have to secure it around something first. And mm, the Disney one, she actually has a little pulley system. That's smart. Yeah. yeah. That's smart. How might modern science prevent the dramas of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? By unionising people well enough that they don't need support from just someone who's just going to, like, do their cleaning and shit for them. Uh, That's not science. That's politics. I don't think the dwarves are the problem. Um, The miracle of of cosmetic surgery could solve all of the, the... the evil queen. Is she an evil queen? Yeah, yeah. she's pretty evil. Uh, she yeah. she could c- continue to be the fairest of them all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Botox. Or she mm. could just go on Facebook and ask that who's the fairest of them all. You know, oh, oh, is there a way of like making a magic mirror who's just like, yeah, you're awesome. There, there, everything's fine. Is there a way of testing if somebody is dead or not? Yeah, Usually I guess. You <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. Um, I was just curious. Uh, <laughs> Um, okay, one more. Jack climbs an enormous beanstalk up into the sky. What's the closest we could get to that in the real world? Uh, space elevators, eventually. Yeah. That are in orbit and you send things up the, the wire. <coughs> yeah, we could totally, totally do that. Um, a space elevator, so uh, it would need to be, what, 35,000 kilometres long? Um, but you attach it to the ground, and then you attach the other end to space. <laughs> um, and then um, people, could, people could climb up and down that uh, and like a pups. beanstalk. Mm. Yeah. So here's what you do. <laughs> you go to uh, uh, the forest of California, mm. and you get like a redwood seed. Mm. 
Then you climb Mount Everest <laughs> and you plant the redwood seed. And all that topsoil. On the, on the, you, you take, you take, take some, some soil. Back, some, soil. Take, some, take some peat with you. Some plant food. And you set uh, up some, some little blowtorches. Um, uh, you set up a nice little, a little, uh, a little pot on the top of... On the top of Mount Everest, and uh, you wait for about three hundred years um, for the redwood to grow, and then you'll be at the highest uh, height that you could be at naturally. That's a great plan. The best thing, though, about like the big beanstalk stuff is that if you fell off and fell all the way down and like just went on the ground, all the beans would laugh so hard. <laughs> 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 they all fall <laughs> Solve um, the unemployment rate of tailors. Brilliant. Okay. Um, well, that brings us to the end of that round. Um, you know what, I think we'll hold off on the score update just to keep the suspense going. Um, and let's move straight into the final round. Final round. It's time for a, a round that we haven't had in a while. This is the Who Would Win round. In this, uh, we're going to put two fairy tale characters head to head. Uh, and you will argue who will win. Then the audience will decide between the two. Karen and Erin, you are going to have the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Mm-hmm. Andrew and Andrew, you are going to have the Three Little Pigs as a team. We'll start with the Beast. Terrific. Well, we all know that the Beast is um, someone with a great deal of strength and might on their side. Uh, he's someone with sleek tailoring, so he's always, always going to look good in a fight, mm-hmm. which is really good because it means you're not going to get caught on anything. And he's, and he's got a posse. Yeah. Now, I mean, the Beast, mentioning the size and strength is just a given, right? We know that personally he's very strong, but he's got crew. We're talking talking candelabras, dancing plates, a a feather duster that can, like, make people sneeze if it needs to. And a whole garden full of such incredible roses that they Mm. cause people to make incredibly poor life choices. (laughs) (laughs) So so the beast is coming in, he's well prepared, and he's going to be able to smack down these tiny little pigs no matter what the scenario, because he's prepared for every eventuality. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Tell me about the pigs. The pigs are no stranger to uh, fighting large mammalian creatures. <laughs> and the thing that the pigs have that, uh, shall we say, certain other fairy tale characters lack is uh, construction skill. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, they're very good with their defences, actually, and not just defence, but attack as well. And in fact, they fought in World War II and defeated Hitler Wolf. It's true. You can watch it. Disney animated it. Okay. Yeah, and Disney has never told a lie. Um, yeah, they they can use tools. They can use a range of construction materials from straw all the way through brick. Um, I want you to tell me specifically how this is going to defeat the beast. Um, the the thing that the pigs what the pigs do is that they know that they're fucking delicious. Um, so they they lure their enemies in. Um, only to to turn the tables and cook them alive, uh, and then presumably sell sell the meat because they're I mean they're they're not like meat eating pigs. Well, it might be they could feast on the beast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, counterpoint. Little known fact: the beast isn't 
really well swayed by food. He doesn't really want to play with his food, for instance. Uh, he's a he's one of those like weekday vegans where he's like <laughs> vegan until six, and then after that it's fine. But you're forgetting the fact that you know you call him mammalian. He's actually a human being underneath it, and a human being with human intelligence, and not just intelligence. He's got heart. So no proven by have, enchantment. Yeah. So no, no matter what your little lemmings are going to construct, he's going to be able to find a way and think a way through all of those defences. And once he's in that speed, that strength, he's the killer. By the way, about the whole food thing, this is a man who has access to the finest cuisine from the best food in the world. He doesn't want your, he doesn't bacon. Want your bacon. So why is he coming after it? Because he hates you. <laughs> <laughs> because you did what? a piss poor job renovating his Yeah, garden. the second bathroom is crap. <laughs> Those walls that were meant to keep people out, let that bloody guy in. And that's look, look. Maybe the beast was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, living up there in this castle. Um, but, you know, he didn't build that castle. You know who built that castle? The working class. The pigs. That's right. And the pigs, having built that castle, you know what they could, can also build into castles? Weaknesses. Secret entrances. Um, traps. Uh... Booby traps. Booby traps, uh, as traps. distinct from other traps. <laughs> so traps, booby traps, and, and death traps. traps. <laughs> yep. All traps, three kinds of traps. traps. <laughs> um, and thank you. Okay. And because uh, there's three of them, they have the advantage of trial and error. They can get things perfect. Yeah. yeah so you're willing to sacrifice the first two. <laughs> <laughs> They'll always find versions. more pigs. <laughs> All right, I There's would, only one beast. I would like to hear a closing uh, statement from each side, and then we'll put it to the audience. The beast cares nothing for your shitty construction. All he cares about is might and heart. Not by the hairs on our chinny chin chins. <laughs> it's an empty slogan. <laughs> Pure populism. <laughs> well, if the last year has taught us anything... <laughs> Um, you're, you're just mad that you didn't think of saying be I guess, be I guess. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, audience, who do you think would win in this battle? Would it be the Beast? <laughs> or would it be the Three Little Pigs? <laughs> okay, looks like we're giving that one to the Three Little Pigs. Yeah, you are. So, uh, Moata, uh, I'll give you a moment to add those up. Uh, of course, the Nerd Degree is here. Uh, we have a live show uh, the first Wednesday of every month here at Orange Studios in Christchurch. And the podcast comes out every two weeks. Uh, you can find us online, nerddegree.com. Moata, what are the final scores? Well, Brendan, you're still on five. <laughs> <laughs> Big Bad Virginia Woolf are lost in the woods Aww. with nothing but a basket and a red cape. But Bibbity Boppity Boo earns... Are living happily ever after on 35. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of it. Thank you very much. Good night. (laughs) 